0: Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, My name is Ricardo Stewart. It's your first time here. Uh, just a little bit about Redemption Church. We are one church with multiple congregations. Uh, we believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and so we take that belief and our desire is to make disciples in response to that truth to live their lives um, for Jesus. Uh, the best way that we go about doing this and making disciples um, outside of Sunday services is in a thing called Redemption Communities, and Redemption Communities are a smaller gathering of people that meet in various places and various times throughout the city, uh, throughout th- throughout the city, throughout our region to encourage one another um, the gospel of Jesus Christ Christ. Um, This is something that you're interested in. It is something that we highly recommend. Best thing you can do is uh, take that information card in the seat in front of you, fill out your name, email address, any questions you have um, regarding Redemption Communities or just Redemption Church as a whole. uh, Write those things down, and then later, um, after our time of um, the message, after the sermon, you have an opportunity to drop those off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back uh, by the double doors. Uh, Just a few things I have for us. First, announcement-wise, is we are having our membership class. Um, We said uh, a few weeks ago that we want this to be the biggest membership class, and I think it will be. So if you've been coming to Redemption for a few months, or today's your first day at Redemption, and you want to learn about Redemption Church, um, I highly recommend that you attend the membership class. It starts this Wednesday. Um, and then it, also, it will conclude next Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. here in this room. There is child care for that. And you can sign up online at redemptionaz.com. Um, or you can just go to the Connect desk and sign up in the back on your way out. So we're encouraged. Um, hope to see you all there. We'll have a great opportunity for you to hear about the doctrine and philosophy of our church, as well as an opportunity to engage with uh, with the various elders here um, at Redemption Tempe. Um Next thing is, December 9th, it's going to be a big Sunday for us. December 9th, we were having baby dedication as well as baptism at all four of our services. Um, if you've never been to a service where we have had baby dedication and or baptism, they're easily my favorite Sundays. The energy is amazing uh, to be able to celebrate the life of newborn children as well as the life of newborn believers in Christ Jesus. And so um, if you have a child and you want a baby, dedicate that child before the Lord, um, before the body of believers, um, go ahead and fill out your email address and name and then and drop, the, drop off um, um, that in the offering boxes, and we'll be able to get you information on that, because um, we need some pictures from you, so we can show the beautiful pictures of your babies up there, and everyone goes, oh, for now. Um, <laughs> then they get older, and they go, Ugh, right? So, um, and then we'll also baptism. If you're here and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've never been baptized and, um, and expressed that truth before the body of believers, uh, we encourage you to do that in response to the Scripture and the love of God. And um, it's, it's a fun time. It's a really, really fun time. And so uh, looking forward to that. That's December 9th. Um, now I want to be able to give you guys from now all the way essentially for the next year and a half. And so uh, here it comes. All right. From now, we are going next week we start Advent. Uh, we celebrate Advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we'll have every year a part, an organization that we will partner with. And so we'll explain that and have a video for that next week. Um, Advent will lead us all the way through Christmas. Um, we'll continue in the First Peter series. We will have Chris, the, the um, Sunday before Christmas Eve, we will meet and have our regular service times. Um, Tuesday, um, at, following that Sunday is Christmas Eve. We will have two Christmas Eve services, um, one at 5 p.m., and then we'll also have one at 11 p.m. There will be some child care option for 5 p.m. We're not exactly sure which group we want to provide. My suggestion will be the toddlers because they're the hardest to maintain. So get them out of here, and then we will have an opportunity for us to have—just joking. And, a, and we'll also have 11 p.m. service, and there will be no child care uh, service at that. If your child is here at 11 p.m., <laughs> please, just— Go to 5 p.m., all right? And so we'll have 11 p.m. service on Christmas Eve. Um, after that, the beginning of January, the first three weeks, we are going to have a three part series on prayer. We'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and Jesus Christ, the high priestly prayer, his prayer for the church, start off the year um, in learning about and cultivating a desire uh, for 2013 for prayer. And then following that, we will have our six-week vision series. And that's what we're really excited about. Um, We are going to take six weeks and just focus on redemption Tempe, not redemption as a whole. Every other congregation is doing their own thing. Six uh, six weeks of uh, six topics that we believe that God is calling us to be as a church. Um, A part of that is, since we purchased this property, we are going to have also a million dollar capital campaign. Uh, We talked about this on October 28th. If you weren't here for that sermon, you can go online and listen to that. It was a a preview of what is to come, and so we're excited about that. Uh, If you want to know more about that and how you can prepare for those six weeks um, of the vision as well as a capital campaign, if you grab one of these Building a Stronger Church uh, brochures on your way out, grab one. Um, There's some clear instructions here and a letter from the elders to you all, that you could be praying um, and begin to thinking about what that's going to mean for you physically, spiritually, and financially uh, to really commit to what we believe God is doing here. So we're excited about that. That'll go up into March 3rd, three weeks leading into Easter, three weeks of the book of Habakkuk. It's a small Old Testament book. And then on Easter, we will start Romans and we'll be in Romans for a year and a half to two years. So there you go. That's the next two years of Redemption Church see you over the next two years, all right? All right, if you have your Bible, why don't you meet me in First Peter chapter 4? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and then one of the guys, one of the gals will be able to get you a copy of uh, God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we give you so you can you can own God's Word and, um, and have a copy to read it whenever you want to read it. First uh, Peter chapter 4. Um, before we get into it, I, I just wanted to acknowledge one. I hope you guys had a great, great um, Thanksgiving, and you enjoyed being with your family, and even more than that. Um, I really hope you guys had a great Friday, um, Friday night uh, when uh, the Sun Devils played the Wildcats, and uh, well, you know, we see who God loves more, right? And so, there was a great opportunity for us to be down in Tucson. Listen, I know you guys were praying for the Sun Devils, and we appreciate your prayers. Uh, that <laughs> uh, God loves them both; He really does. It just so happened; it was, you know, it was um, it was our time, right? So to you U of A friends, fans there, listen, U of A is a great university, um, and we really appreciate your selfless, sacrificial giving of the ball to us over and over and and over again. Wow, it is a display of the love of Christ, and we appreciate it. We really do. All right, that's it. I told myself I would only go that far. But if you want to talk more later, we can talk after this. All right. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have been tracking with us, this letter that Peter is writing here, it is a letter that the theme is that Christians, people who believe in Jesus Christ, um, people who follow Christ, will suffer. From chapter 1, he talks about trials that will happen. Chapter 2, he calls us to holiness, and as we pursue holiness— we see that there's going to be more trials. Chapter 3, more suffering. And now after talking about suffering, Peter's not done um, with suffering, but he's saying now this particular suffering. Uh, a suffering in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so not just a broad sense of suffering, but suffering that is in response to obedience to what Christ has done. He's saying now there's a way that we, to, we are to live out our lives in response to this suffering. Um, and there's, there's two overarching things that Peter has for us um, in these first 11 verses. The first thing is for us to have the mind of Christ. And particularly to have the mind of Christ, the thinking of Christ, the thought process of Christ, as we live in a world and a culture that does not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, And primarily he's talking about people who had been saved, who have been redeemed from a particular lifestyle to Christ Jesus and find themselves amongst the same friends. How do we live out uh, our gospel identity um, in the midst of a culture that doesn't honor God? And so first he says, have the mind of Christ. And in verses 7 through 11, he shows us to have the love of Christ. And so two big overarching ideas that Peter has here for us as we live out our identity in Jesus and a culture that does not honor our God is that we, one, have the mind of Christ and then also the love of Christ. And so we'll look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, Before we do, would you guys bow your heads and let's pray that God by his Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and give us illumination of his word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gathering of your people. Father, those who are here who call upon you, those who are here who have not yet called upon you, God, we thank you, Lord, for this extended weekend, Lord, not of football, Lord, but really a Thanksgiving, of thanking you, Lord, for each other, thanking you for your son, Jesus, thanking you, Lord, for the life that we have. Father, thanking you for family and for friends, thanking you for the many gifts that you give us. And Father, as we look at your word today, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds, Lord, what it means to have the mind of Christ, and also what does it mean to have and show the love of Christ to those around us. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your Holy Spirit, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the word and elevate the person, the work, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, A famous slogan um, that was used around my household growing up uh, a lot was the slogan, um, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And some of you guys have heard that song last hour. Someone said, hey, did Coolio say that? I'm like, no. Coolio said it, but we're not going on a fantastic voyage, right? This is something a little bit different, right? The the slogan in itself was coined by the United Negro College Fund. Um, And the the purpose of this was um, to inspire young African-American men and women to go to college. The point of the slogan was, if you have an informed mind, that you have an opportunity to flourish in society. And so the big push was trying to get young African-American men and women to go to college and to earn degrees and therefore be able to run companies and organizations and and be um, useful in our society. In fact, since the inception of this slogan in 1972, they saw more African-American men and women go to college. And so the slogan still stands today, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And so if God has given you something, use it. Peter uses something similar to this. not that particular slogan about education in the sense of going to school, but having a mind informed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he starts off this first six verses and letting us know that if we are going to be men and women, People of God, God's covenant people of which Christ shed his blood for. If we're going to live in this world, it's not to be ripped away from culture. It's not to become just like our culture, but to be a countercultural people. The way that we're going to do that, I'm having transformed minds and a transformed heart And in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ is to have a mind that is informed with Jesus. A mind that understands who Christ is and what Christ has done. Therefore, who we are and what we do in response to that beautiful truth. Peter starts off of talking about this mind in verse 1 of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, I meaning given the example of Christ um, and continuing with the theme of suffering, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Well, when Peter says arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, this, this language here says have the same mindset as Christ. Very similar to, to Philippians chapter 2. It's saying have the same thought process or the same purpose or the same ideal as Christ who left the comforts of heaven and came and willingly um, submitted himself to the Father and suffered even to the point of death. Peter says arm yourself with this thinking, meaning Christianity starts first and foremost as we live it out in the mind. It starts in the thinking. You see, so often, especially if you grew up around um, any particular ministry that, that put a lot of emphasis on the emotion and a lot of an emphasis on expression and a lot of emphasis on feelings, which, hear me, I'm not saying that any of those things are not things that God uses and that we should be emotionless people. By no means, no. We should, we should be whole body people. But the part that Christianity sometimes lacks is the ability to think. Um, We raise a group of people, many of us, were raised in homes, believe in Jesus because my mom said believe in Jesus. Go to church because someone said go to church. I never thought about the implications of the gospel. I never thought about um, the nature of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the intellectual understanding and empirical evidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so therefore we become people who are not thinkers. And what Paul is, excuse me, what Peter is saying here is think, think. Be saturated with the gospel truth in your mind. Because from the mind, your thoughts, they filter into your heart. And from your heart, the ethos of who you are flows out to your being. So have behavior. Um, Not just behavior modification, but have a behavior that is informed by the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, the thinking of Christ. It means meditate on his scripture day and night, as the psalmist says. Understand the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and not only as a means to enter into the kingdom of God, but understand how the gospel applies to every area of your life, to the way that you work, to the way that you play, to the way that you hang out with friends and family, to the way that you enjoy the beautiful gifts of the Lord. Peter is saying in the same way, have this thinking, this, this mind of Christ. Now, when you have the mind of Christ, um, there's a few things that Peter lets us know. One, when you have the mind of Christ that's been given to you by grace— and you're thinking through the implication of the gospel, the first thing um, that he lets us know is, this mind of Christ, you have a desire now to please God. You have a desire to immolate the one who at infinite cost to himself gave himself for you in Christ Jesus. I'm um, continuing with this thinking. It, it says this, um, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so a couple things here. One, the mind of Christ, um, before it even desires to please God, it, it, it desires to be done with sin. He says that the person who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, if you're anything like me, you read passages like that and other passages in the Bible like that, and you go, oh my goodness, is this saying that a Christian should never sin again? That a Christian won't sin again? I got issues then, because I do believe in Jesus, but I continue to sin. There, there are other passages like this in First John that, 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 that essentially say, if you love God, you won't sin. And you go, whoa, whoa what does that mean? Let me, let me explain to you what Peter is saying here. First, Peter is saying, and cons- being consistent with the thought of the Apostle Paul from Romans 6, that since Christ came and he suffered once for sin, that he died as our substitute. We talked about this last week. And he died so that sin now, in his life, death, and resurrection, he dominated and defeated sin, Satan, and death. Therefore, sin, Satan, and death do not have authority over the people of God. It does not have dominion over the people of God. Therefore, no matter what issues you have, no matter what your personal struggles are, if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, it may seem that that the impulses of sin are bigger than you. And the truth of the matter, they are bigger than you, but not bigger than the one who lives in you. They're not bigger than the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So often, as Christians, we feel defeated because of, because of struggles, because of failure in particular sins. And I don't know your sins. I know mine. I know how often it can feel I'm defeated by this. And maybe you have the same prayer that I've had. God, if you could take these three things away, gosh, I would be good, right? Just take these three things away. Man, I'd be the best guy in the world. And it seems like those three things are the things I'm constantly wrestling with. What Peter is communicating here is that when you have your mind armed with the gospel, you are able to preach truth to yourself in moments of weaknesses. And that is to say out loud, sin does not have reign over me, but does not have dominion over me. Though I am a sinner and I'm not completely fully redeemed, as I will be in the new heavens and new earth, I know that Christ has done something through his death and through his life, through his resurrection, through his ascension. And giving me the Holy Spirit that I can now be victorious in this particular sin. Sometimes it takes longer than others. But that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. The next part that Peter is talking about when it comes to be, ceasing from sin is that when you begin to suffer. And the suffering that Peter is talking about here is a suffering for obedience. When you find yourself choosing to obey God as opposed to choosing to obey sin. Um, choosing to obey God and choosing to, um, to obey sin shows that you have a desire to worship God. Like Christ, who willingly submitted himself to the authority of the Father, you too now willingly submit yourself to the authority of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus showing that you are worshiping God and therefore not submitting to sin. And, and, and the best way to think of this is um, the more that you draw near to God, the easier it is for you to say no to particular desires and to sinful impulses. Um, For me personally, when there's a struggle of sin in my life, the verse that I go to is James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, if you resist the devil, he will resist you. If you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. Because if we're just honest in our own lives, there are certain things that we feel, this is bigger than me. And what happens is we let it filter in our head and ruminate in our head as opposed to speaking truth in that moment. Having a mind of Christ is able to be done with sin because it understands the truth of Christ in that moment. The promise that James gives us, as James chapter 4 gives us, is if I continue to say no and resist the enemy, resist temptation, resist sin that's within me, um, the easier it is. It becomes a rhythm. It becomes a discipline. The more I'm able to renounce that, um, the easier it is for me to do it. And on the flip side, the way that I'm able to, the more and more I draw near to the Lord, it's a promise. It says if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Because what sin does naturally is Sin turns your eyes on yourself. It makes you selfish. It makes you use the good gifts that God has given us, whether relationship, um, whether, whether technology, or whether it be intellect, whether it be good drink, good food. It makes us take those things and use them to satisfy ourselves. And we're drawn to the Lord as we get this drawn near to the Lord, see who he is, and take all of those things and use them in such a way to enjoy him and bring glory to his name. So when we have the mind of Christ, we realize we don't just remove ourselves from things. We understand those sinners in the midst of a sinful world that we now, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to choose God over sin. And that should be a powerful truth for us to understand that. So so not only does the mind of Christ give us, give us an understanding that it's, we cease to sin, but it says in that we desire to please God. Um, when, it, when it continues here from verse 2 to verse 3, it says, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The will of God, the, the word will there is a Greek word, thelema. It, it means pleasure, to please God. That our desire now in obedience and response to Christ is to please God. That God is pleased with us through obedience. Our obedience doesn't earn our favor before God. Um, Christ earns our favor and gives it to us freely. And now in response to that good news and that grace, we desire now. Um, We desire to give our whole bodies, our whole life to him. And that now is pleasing to him. This comes from flowing again, having the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that renews our thinking. As, as, As Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may know the good and perfect and pleasing will of the Lord. This is the thought process here. Understanding the truth of scripture, thinking about it, and then applying it. So we are now ceasing from sin. Um, we are understanding to please God. And the next thing it says is that we're done with our past life. Here, here's what Peter continues to say here. Verse 3 For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, now Peter is saying here's the context that he's saying that he wants us to have this mind of Christ in. But particularly here, he's talking about people who do not believe in the same God in which we believe in. Now, I say the same God we believe in because um, I don't want us to think that somehow there was this godless culture. Because people believed in God, they just didn't believe in the God of the Bible. That Christians were not being persecuted in this moment because they, they believed in a God. They were being persecuted because they believed in Jesus Christ. And then the way that their life was changed in Christ Jesus, that's where the persecution came. You see, their culture during this first century uh, Greco-Roman world, it was polytheistic or uh, pluralistic, meaning they believed in many gods. Much like our culture, people for the most part, they believe in God. They're spiritual. They're spiritual people. You're okay with talking about any religion, any God, until you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to know God. That's when you now go, oh, you're, you're narrow-minded. Narrow minded, you just listened to me 80,000 gods and now I listen to you one just by math alone. That's a lot easier, right? No, 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 that's offensive now. You see, what Peter was saying now is when you have the mind of Christ, you have to know there's a life that you used to have in worship and it showed itself in some of the ways that Peter has here. Now, no, the list that Peter has here is not exhaustive. And it's not that this culture particularly had everyone was living wild lives, like what Peter listens here. I mean, let's just go through this list here. Sensuality and passions, that's an over-desire for lust. Um, and lust, not just sexually, but that could be in drink, and that also could be in food. So it's, it's over-drinking, it's overeating, and it's over—you um, can't over-sex, it's oversexing too, right? And that's what, that's, that's what he's saying here. It's just, it's, just, it's just trying to find anything in this world that can satisfy the cavity that's in your heart. And, and Peter's saying, this is the way people lived. And, and if you continue this list, it's drinking parties. Now, here, here's what I'm saying now. It's not just... Um, uh, Drunkenness, orgies, and drinking parties. Uh, the drunkenness is your over drinking. The orgies, you know what that is. And then, and then, and then there's drinking parties. The drinking parties here, because um, I don't want to make sure we're not legalists here. It's not saying that if you are a Christian and you're in a party where people are drinking, that's sin. No, because then you would go, well, I come to redemption every Sunday, and guess what? They put out this, ninth, this nice, fine box wine every week for me to to have communion. Better not go to that church, right? No, no, no. It's not what he's saying. The intentions behind these parties is that many of the people were worshiping gods. That's what the orgies were for. Um, many people were going to be not to have a good drink because they had the freedom to or their conscience was clear to. They wanted to be drunk. This, is, this was a lifestyle of many people. Not all the people, many people. And the reason why I say this is not all the people, because the culture in itself, if you you look through Greek philosophy, their idea of of life, their morals, weren't like this. Their morals were pretty consistent in a lot of ways to that of the Christian ethics. Um, It's kind of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. We've been saying this throughout this series, that there are certain things when the gospel comes into a particular culture that it affirms, that it says, hey, there's nothing wrong with doing these things behaviorally. The basis is different, but the action's fine. And then there's certain things that the gospel absolutely critiques. Um, the part of the culture that's critiquing now is a part of the culture that many engaged in. And, and much like if you looked in our culture and you look at the ideals of our culture, people would go, those are pretty consistent with Christian values. But then you look at the people and how they lived, you go, that's inconsistent. So what Peter does is let's just talk to it at his street level. Here's what's happening. Um, and he's talking to people who were removed from this. There used to be a point in your time where you pursued pleasure. But not in God. You, pollute, you pursued pleasure anywhere else to fill that cavity, to fill that void. You did it with food. You did it with relationships. You did it, you, you did it with friendships. You did it, you did it with drinking. You did it with sex. You did it with a lot of things. And that's, never, that's that never satisfied. And he's talking to this audience the same way I talk to you and go, you know that. So don't go back to it. He's saying that, that time's over. You had that life. Meaning the people that Peter was talking to, they would be people who we would class, classify as people who had adult conversions. Or uh, they, quote, unquote, had a past, right? We always talk about that. Did he have a past? I never, I never really mean like if he's here today, yeah, right? I, past usually past means someone, you did these particular type of sins. And, and Peter's saying that's not what you should be anymore. Meaning, you're, you, you shouldn't have those same names that maybe they had for you in college. Like, your nickname shouldn't be Frank the Tank anymore, right? You're Frank the Usher now, right? I mean, there's a, there's a redemption process that is, is happening and has happened in your life. And he says the time for that, it's done. Like, you're, you're done with that. If you look at the five things that he lists, four of them, again, are food, sex, and drink. And then that last one here, um, lawless idolatry. What that means is that you are in an endless pursuit of knowledge, truth, or pleasure. Meaning you're searching. And I believe everyone is a seeker. Because everyone was created in the image of God. Everyone created, beautiful in the image of God. Uniquely designed after our maker. And we were created to worship. Therefore, we are going to worship something. It may look different. Um, it, it may not be consistent with the scripture. But people are seeking I've said this quote before. It's one of my favorite quotes by G.K. Chesterton. He says, every man that walked into a brothel is looking for God. And a brothel is a a strip club. And he said, the reason for that is all they're looking is for something to satisfy, but they're never going to find it there. That the God of the universe reveals himself personally through Jesus Christ. That everyone's seeking. And he's saying, this is the way you used to be, but now when you have the mind of Christ, you can see clearly into that and go, that's not the way. That's not the way. However... What he says next is, because you're still with those same friends, and because you're still with those same family members and the same people that you used to engage in these activities with, now that you don't engage into it, it's going to be hard for you. Verse 4 says this, with respect to this, they, those who are partying and living wild lives, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, debauchery that, and then they malign you. Um, here's what's happening here. Some of us experience this is that there are certain things that you used to do. And let's be honest, there's some of you, as Christians, you find yourself still doing. And then, and then, and then there's a moment, whether it be conviction for the Christian or conversion for the person who wasn't a Christian who not a Christian, that now our affections have changed. And we look at these particular, particular lifestyle and patterns and we go, we're not going to do that anymore. I mean, there's only so far I can go. Like, I'm going to be a Christian and so I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to be around you and be a witness. But there are certain things that I just cannot do anymore. That we come to those moments. I get it, not every one of us, but we've had those moments before where we were not walking with the Lord. And there are certain things that just look like absolute fun to us. And they were great and it was a good time. And then something happened. God did something. His spirit, The Spirit opened up your eyes and you begin to process to go, my affections for this has changed for something else. I've shared this with you before. I, when this happened to me, I wasn't. God saved me in a weird way. I just wasn't in a church. I wasn't looking for a church. I was actually in a really nice restaurant that, um, it was a nightclub. There's no way that it was. It was a nightclub, right? But I was there, and I remember I was just looking around, and I thought, gosh, as they were playing this annoying music in my ear, thinking, is this it? Is this it? Like, if, if this is it, this endless pursuit, is this it? And then that led to me asking more questions that eventually led me to God open up my heart and seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, but what happens now that you've changed, there is, a, there is an opportunity now for people to make fun of you. And you know what? As Christians, we take it. We just take it. Um, part of it is, is because of what we believe. When people are endlessly pursuing truth outside of the gospel, um, and now in Peter's audience, the reason why people were criticizing them was not that they believed in a God. It's just that they saw that every other forms of worship was idolatry. Meaning the claims of Christianity, hear me, that Christianity is inclusive, meaning everyone can become a Christian by faith in Jesus. It's exclusive in this way. Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only way. And so now when you're telling a pluralistic society, if you walk down ASU and you talk to particular students and particular majors and you say, hey, the only way to heaven, the only way to God is through Jesus, they say you're narrow. That's, that's not smart. How could you say that? And so now there's ridicule. And now that you're not engaging in these particular parties, you're no fun. You're, you're, you're known as the killjoy. That's what people say. This person used to be fun and now they're not fun anymore. And that's the way it is. And people make fun of you. And you know what? It's fine. Don't, don't wear as a badge and honor. Oh, I'm suffering for Christ. No, no. You're just not getting wasted. Like, let's just say that. I don't get drunk anymore. Don't, don't try to make it like a hero. You're not a hero. All right? You're just not drinking as much, right? That's, that's ultimately it. Um, my friends, they rip on me to this day. I love them. I love them to death. And now it's funny. Before it used to bother me and like the old me would come back and but I'm saved now, so I'm changed. And, and, and one of the ways they always joke around is like, oh, they, they don't call me Ricard anymore. They call me the Rev. They're like, oh, the Rev, the Rev's here. And I was like, whatever. I'll just pray for you on Sunday. Right? There's, there's, there's just, there, it, it happens. It happens. It happens at work. Um, now that there's certain things that the guys are engaging into, there's certain activities that they want to do after work that you go, I, I, I can't do that. It happens in friendships, especially with women sometimes. You notice that there's a party. There's something that everyone's invited to. Then they talk about it afterwards, and you go, no one invited. Dang it, right? You found about it on Facebook. Everyone's like, what a great time we had. And you're like, oh, no, we didn't, right? Because they didn't they, they invite you, right? There, 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 that happens. There, there is a sense there where there is a rejection. Now, here's what, here, here's what Peter says here now. The thought is not to remove yourself from them. Peter never here says, remove yourself from them. He says, "No, just remove yourself from those particular activities. Because what has happened is in your life is repentance, And repentance is not, "I don't do these things anymore. now I do these things." And so often, that's the message that our friends hear us, and some of you here are, here are Christians right now, are not Christians right now. And you would say, "Yeah, Christianity to me is a moral uh, straitjacket. That to me, uh, all my friends talk about is how they don't engage into premarital sex. Or my friends, they, they don't get drunk every once in a while. I don't drink that much, but every once in a while I like to get drunk. And to me, Christianity um, in itself is not engaging in these things and doing these things, which seems like an absolute killjoy. And let me tell you, that's not good news. Good news is not I stopped doing this and now I do this. Here's good news. Good news is my life, I was living this way. And everything, a part of this way, it seemed good to me. It seemed like a good idea at the moment. Um, My mind was not saturated with the mind of Christ. I had a different mind and a different way of thinking. And I liked this life. Then something happened. Um, Metaphorically, God lifted the blindfolders off. I was able to see this life for what it is. To take good gifts of the Lord, like drink, like sex, like relationships. And I twisted them in such a way that did not honor him, but were trying to please me. And when God lifted up the blindfolds in my life... I was able to see where I was headed. And then he gave me the opportunity to see the one who did it on my behalf. And now repentance is not just me, not just going this way anymore. and going this way. But first there's a vertical change. But I understand who God is and understand who God is and what Christ has done on my behalf. Now there's a change and I see that my delight is now in Christ and through Christ. So these things like sex, like relationships, like food, um, um, like good drink, these things now are things that I don't abuse for myself. But these things are things that I use in order to worship God and to honor him as a creator of these things. And therefore using them in the context and the right way in which God calls for them to be used. That's Repentance. And so when we take that ideal of repentance in to our friends who are continuing to live that life, there's no smugness in us. There's, nothing, there's no part of us that looks at them and goes, you idiot people. No, 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 at all. That we should, be, we should be humble people. You see, what happens is when we watch TV or we watch the news or we see people who are famous and we see them making an absolute mess of their life, we go, what idiots? Why would they do that? How did this person get this much money and they, and they make these dumb decisions? And I think what that shows is we, we really don't understand the gospel we say we believe. We really don't understand grace. Because the question that we should be asking ourselves is, why don't I do that? Why, why don't I engage in these things? Because if you say, the reason why I don't engage in these things because I was smarter, um, because I worked harder, um, because I'm, I'm just a better person, then you really don't get the gospel. It's really about you. Christianity is about you, and it's about what you can do. You've totally missed it. But, if you can answer the question is the reason why I don't do that is somehow in God's infinite love for me. He's changed my affections. My affections would be for something else. It wasn't a part for the love of God. This is not something I did. I didn't, I didn't even really have to ask God for this. This is something he did because of his infinite love for me. So when I understand the concept and the ideal of grace, no way do I look down my nose towards anybody else who does those things. Me personally, one, because I know exactly what it was like. And even if you've never engaged with, quote-unquote, a past, you cannot stand on your, your, your moral standards. Your moral standards is not what makes you right before God. It's the standards of Christ that he gives to you. It's a gift. So when we understand grace, now we can enter into these relationships. Um, sometimes it's wise to remove yourself from certain relationships. It's wise for a season, for a period, or forever, to never be around certain people. But for the most part, as we engage the culture, we're there to be witnesses. The same grace which changed our lives, this, this undeserved gift of Christ given to us, is the same gospel that we present to others. Because here's what Peter says about these people. It says, they will, those who are ridiculing you, those who are maligning you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Meaning, what they say to you does not matter. What God says of you matters. And what they need is to know is that if they continue down this path, it's destruction. Um, The blindfold is on their eyes. And I'm not just trying to speak to you, those of you who are not Christians, as, as, as belittling you. I'm saying we all were born with blindfolders. God has to do something. And if not, there is destruction and there's judgment. And so God has us here, the people of God here. He's left us here. He didn't just rip us into heaven. We're here to be conduits of this grace, to share this gospel. In fact, it's what he says in verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And when it says to those who were dead, he's talking to an audience of people. who's saying the people who believed in Christ before they died. That though they were judged, they died because of sin. We're all going to die. That they will now be raised in the spirit. And one day they will have a, a new body um, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so now, because we have friends that, that are going down this path, God has left us here not to remove ourselves from them, but to be with them at work, to be with them in our family, to be with them um, in, in relationships in order that we may be, as an example, proclamation and demonstration of the grace of Jesus Christ. That they may, may have the opportunity to escape. Because that's what all of the living is. The, the, re, the reason why people do drugs, the people why people drown themselves in alcohol, it's an escape. It's there's a moment in time in which you get to leave the harsh reality of this world and what the gospel gives you is a permanent not just escape but reality to know that in this life there will be suffering but there's a day we're about to we're about to celebrate it when the advent of Christ when he comes back and the way that we will live with him for eternity never to escape this world but him coming now to redeem this world to be the way it's supposed to be complete ecstasy is only in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ and that's the good news that we hold out to people because of Jesus's life death and resurrection. When we arm ourselves with the way of thinking of Christ, have the mind of Christ, not only do we begin to draw near to the Lord and resist sin, but with our friends who continue to live, our family members who continue to live, and co-workers who continue to live in that way, we are an example of Christ even though we suffer. Just look to Christ on the cross. He suffered for his friends. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And he absorbs the suffering in order that he may extend grace. We too, in response to our Savior, we absorb the suffering, no matter what the words may be, in order that we may extend grace. Amen? Peter wraps up the first six verses and talking about the mind of Christ. And in verse 7 through 11, he transitions from talking about the mind of Christ that we are to have in the midst of suffering to the love of Christ. So the first context against people who do not believe in the gospel And the second context is a group of people who do believe in the gospel. Um, So the the covenant community, the church, the people of God, having the love of Christ. And here's what Peter says in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's what he's saying now. Um, The end is near. Peter's not saying judgment day is coming right away. He's saying in the full scope of the gospel, everything has happened for consummation to be on its way. Meaning, Christ has come. He's lived the life that we should have lived, but didn't. He's died the death that we should have died, but now don't have to. Um, He was raised on the third day. He sent it to heaven. He sent us the Spirit um, in Pentecost. And now the Spirit, which is evidence of the new life, is at work in the bodies of believers. The gospel is going forward. People are believing in Jesus. And God is going to consummate or restore all that was broken. And so that day is coming. And so living in the light of that day, it says... Be self-controlled and sober-minded. He goes back to the mind. On both of those words, what they mean is have clear thinking. Have clear thinking in accordance with the scripture so that you may not have an ability to talk to people or argue with people. He says, so that you may pray for the sake of your prayers. Peter's saying, the people who malign you, be ready to pray for them. The people who give you a hard time, be ready to pray for them. The people of God should not be an argumentative people. Um, By no means should we be passive and be a pushover as well. No way. But we should pray. We should be active prayers. One one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Luke chapter 18. It's the story of the persistent widow. And then there's this widow that Jesus tells this story who goes to the judge, the unjust judge. And and she just annoys this guy. And finally the judge is like, I'm so annoyed of this lady. I'm just going to give her what she wants because she keeps annoying me. And then God, only time in scripture, compares himself to someone who is unjust. He said, you see what the unjust judge did with this annoying woman? Would would, would not your father who loves you and labors over you day and night, would he not answer your prayers? There's an invitation of God's people to pray. Prayer does not change God, but it does change his things. And God in his sovereign will, he decides to um, tether the plan of this world through the prayers of his people. And so he said, just be a praying people. Just ask. It's supplications for yourself. It's supplications and petitions for people around you, for people that don't know God to know God, for people to know God to grow more in the knowledge of God. It's just prayer. It's saturating by prayer. And that's what the people of God should be marked for. And then he gives the command here in verse 8. And the rest of the scriptures, um, the rest of the verses hang up on this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. He says above all, meaning like if there's any, if there's anything that you, if you forget everything, above all, Keep loving one another. That's a command. And it says love one another earnestly. He picks up from the same word that he used in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, and that is the, the word love, not just brotherly affection, but it's, it's a choice. It's more volition. It's the Greek word agape. It's meaning I am choosing to love somebody even though they may not be likable. I'm choosing to love someone even though I don't really um, like being around them. I'm choosing to love somebody. I mean, there's a strain here. The picture here is um, of a, a horse or an athlete running who is straining him or herself to get somewhere. I Meaning the goal that Peter is getting to is if you've seen Christ and you put on the mind of Christ and you've seen his suffering, the goal that you have is to earnestly work hard for people, work hard to love people, work hard at loving. And here, here's what I would say. Love, this type of love, is something you have to work at. It is a choice. It's choosing to love people not like you. It's choosing to love people who absolutely annoy you. Here's, here's just the reality. There will be people in this life who annoy you. And the way that God works in this weird will, those people are usually around you all the time. They're, they're in your family. They go to your church. They sit right there. No, I'm just they're people, they're, they're people who they're just around you. And this is exactly what God Love. This is exactly what he wants. Love. Because it's the picture here. It's Christ. That Christ himself has this type of love, that he chooses to love people that are complete enemies. And God lays down his life in order that we may be one with him. And so Peter gives this. He says, Love earnestly. And he shows what this love looks like. Um, first thing he says is, This love, this agape love, shows itself uh, first and it covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. There's a few things that Peter's saying here, a couple things. Peter is saying here, in the same way that Christ went to the cross and he died, on the cross, Jesus says, It's finished. Meaning he did something on the cross, that he satisfied the wrath of God of every single person who would believe in him. And his, his love expressed through action, it was a choice, not so much of emotion or affection. It was a choice to love us, and it covered our sins. And the same way now, those um, who are armed and have the mind of, mind of Christ in response to the gospel, what it means is so that love covers a multitude of sins is that we choose to forgive. We choose to forgive. Um, We choose to think the best of people. Couples, married couples, people who want to be married people, people who, people, right? Choose to think the best of people and choose to forgive. You choose to forgive, no matter I choose to forgive. Um, Choose to forgive. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Choosing to forgive does not mean choosing to excuse. Love forgives, not excuses. What we do often as Americans, as Christians, this church, is we say things. Someone sins against us, and they go, oh, I'm sorry. And you say, oh, it's all right. Oh, it's all right. Never, no, no, don't even worry about it. Hey, don't even worry about it. That's not forgiving, guys. That's excusing. And that's not the love that, that Peter calls us to here. When it says, love one another earnestly, that means it's going to be some effort. It's going to be some exertion. There's going to be some pain here. Because choosing to forgive, anyone here is married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Choosing to forgive is saying, I'm willing to absorb whatever pain that you afflicted upon me. And I'm choosing not to treat you as your sins deserve. I'm choosing not to bring it up to you. I'm choosing not to bring it up to other people. I'm not choosing to relate to you because of what you've done. But because love covers a multitude of sin in response to seeing how God has forgiven me, now I'm going to forgive you in that way. And it's painful. Love forgives. It doesn't excuse. Sometimes we just let people off the hook, Um, meaning, oh, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And it's not okay because you've never dealt with it. We are known for people not dealing with things. When it says love covers the multitude of sins, it doesn't mean that there's no no conflict. It doesn't mean that there's no uh, confrontation. No, no, no. It calls us to healthy confrontation, but it's having the choice to go, I'm going to forgive you. No matter what you do, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to believe the best about you. I'm going to believe that you didn't mean to do that or that you don't want to do it again. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to take you at your word. And the reason why we know this is painful, because the most forgiving person of this world who absorbs sin for us on the cross, he shows it. He bled for us. And that's the life that Peter is saying to have, that you're choosing to to let love cover a multitude of sins. And gosh, this is hard. This is really hard. This is not easy. This takes work. Again, um, all you have to do is live with somebody. You don't have to be married. Just, Just live in the dorms. You don't like people you live with. You're usually not friends after that. And then you get married and you go, okay, I can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. we have to figure this thing out. Who's going to win? It's like a wrestling match, right? You have to choose to forgive. The, the, the next thing it has, not only does love show, cover a multitude of sins, but it says show hospitality to one another without grumbling, meaning love invites people in. And not just into your home here. Um, certainly the Bible says, feed people, care for people, share your things with people. But you don't have to have a home to show hospitality. Um, you just need to be a person who gives yourself. The, the picture here of hospitality is that you share it with whatever you have. That you open up your life, you open up your home, you open up your pocketbook, and you're a giver, that you give yourselves to people. And it says, do it without grumbling, which I love that it has that there. Uh, do it without complaining. Because one of our pastimes as Christians is to complain. We complain about anything. Oh my gosh. We'll complain about anything. I complain about anything. Yesterday, I walked outside and I go, gosh, it's hot. Right? And it was like 85 degrees or something like that. And it's like, you know, three months ago, it was 90,000 degrees, right? And I'm complaining now about 85 degrees. Um, we will complain. Um, some of us have people in our house. And most of our redemption community people are uh, community leaders. You know what I mean? We, every Tuesday, my wife and I have probably 30, 35 people at our house every Tuesday. And it's great. We believe we have the gift of hospitality. And everyone comes in and everyone hangs out and everyone eats and kids are running around it's a lot of fun and as soon as they leave i'm like oh i can't believe they broke this i can't stand them hope they never come back again hope they go to another church no there's there's a but there's there's a complaining part about it peter peter is saying no no no. choose not to complain give yourself when christ went to the cross on our behalf there was not complaining that he that he lowered himself he emptied himself and he submitted to the Father, saying that's the type of hospitality that you should have, that you should welcome people in, to share your things with them. Um, Peter moves on here, not from just talking about complaining. In verse 10 he says, As each has received uh, a gift, use it to serve. So love serves. Um, to love one another means to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So here's a p- p- picture of Peter's painting here. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Um, and spiritual gifts are, are, are gifts that the Lord gives by the Spirit to his people. And so if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. Um, and in fact, I would say you probably have a gift mix, meaning there's a bunch of gifts that you have that are all mixed together. And people want to know, how do I find my spiritual gifts? I took this online um, survey, and it says that I have the gift of prophecy, and I'm like, do it, right? <laughs> right now, it'd be great. Now, listen, here's how you want to you learn your spiritual gifts. Start serving. Um, worship and serve two ways start worshiping and i'm not just talking singing though Please by all means sing Um, i'm talking giving yourself to god in all our areas and take those particular gifts that god's given them and use And sometimes your gifts won't be expressed in a sunday service And then the reason why we only think um, the gifts are expressed in a sunday service That means we think that um, the only gifts are serving people and preaching god's word when there's tons of gifts when you read in Corinthians and you read in Ephesians and you also read and in um, Romans, you see there's a ton of gifts, and I don't even think those lifts are exhaustive. I mean there's plenty of gifts. Some of you have the gift of teaching, and you have the ability to take things and, and make them real for other people. Sometimes that shows itself through preaching God's word. Sometimes it's within the context of a small group. Sometimes it's in public school that you're just a great teacher. Some of you do have the gift of service, but the way that you have gift of service may be different than what you think. Some of you are great at serving people at work, Um, meaning that you create some of the best goods to serve the the broader community. Um, Some of you may have the gift of administration, which I think is amazing because I don't have that. And that you organize things and you love it. Weird, right? And there's something about you that you love doing it. Whatever the gift may be, you take those gifts and they're not yours. They're God's and they're meant to serve people. And and so again love is ready to forgive and cover a multitude of sins Love is hospitable. It invites people it welcomes people even people not like you And then love serves it takes the gift of christ and then the gifts of christ and says, How can I use this to better flourish society? How can I use this to build up the body of believers? How can I use this to serve people and peter's saying that's what above all do this love and it's going to be hard so far Everything that Peter has called us to do, whether it be to uh, have the mind of Christ, to be witnesses to our friends of the gospel, um, to love earnestly with that agape love, a serious love, a, cho- a love that has so, so much in choice as, as opposed to just affection, to welcome people into our lives and give ourselves, um, to serve people, um, to forgive people. Everything that Paul has called us, Peter has called us to do so far is stuff that's something God's already done in us. Meaning this is not something that you have to look on the outside to find. This is something that God has already placed in you by the Spirit. Here's the way Peter says it here um, in First Peter. He says, To the one who speaks, speaks of the oracles of God. Whoever serves, serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Meaning everything that Peter is saying is everything you do glorify God. And every time God calls us to do something, every imperative of the Bible always, um, it follows or um, it proceeds an indicative. Meaning every imperative um, comes after something God has done. And what Peter has been going through great length in explaining is everything he calls us to do, we don't have to muster up or try harder. It's something that we first, we believe. Um, it, it, It first comes in who we are as opposed to what we do. So when it comes to having the mind of Christ, what we see in Christ Jesus is that we already have the mind of Christ. Paul says in Corinthians that we've been given the mind of Christ. When it comes to be conduit to the gospel, that's exactly what our life is now. That we've been given the Holy Spirit. And so now in response to that, through our proclamation, and our demonstration, we share the love of Christ. That when it comes to have this love, the reason why we're able to love this agape love is by looking to Christ and realize that's exactly the way he loved me. And now in response to that, when that warmed your heart, when that melts your heart, when you remember that you were an enemy, you were an enemy of God, but God went to great lengths and great effort because of his personal choice of you as an individual, now you, in response to that, you can make personal choices to love people, to serve people. In the same way that God was willing to forgive you of all your sins, even though how painful it was, even to death, that we now, in response to Jesus and looking to Jesus, now are able to forgive others. In the same way, The greatest community ever was not at all an exclusive community. Meaning the greatest community was the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God decided to open that community up to make it inclusive. I mean, the reason why God created, that God himself desired for us to be with him. That it says before the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him was not to be back with the Father or the Spirit because he already had the Father. He already had the Spirit. Why would he leave heaven in the first place? Because there was one thing that was missing in heaven that God so desired because of his love and his grace, and that is you and me. So God himself, in order for us to exist in his community, in order for us to be the family of God, in order for him to show what hospitality is, to open up meant selfless, sacrificial giving. And he gave of himself freely. And so now all we have to do is not only look to Jesus as our example, but realize the very power in which we need to give of ourselves is completely in Christ Jesus. And lastly, to serve. A people who are marked by service. Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, says that he himself did not come to be served, but he came to serve others and be the ransom for many. The way that we will have our joy, the way that we'll be able to most glorify God, is looking to Jesus not only as a way to do it, but also his life as the means and the very power to be able to serve in a way that is selfless, that is sacrificial, that is equipped by the mind of Christ, and shows and expresses the love of Christ. Amen? Let's pray.